Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. I left my 100-year-old dad, who lives with me, back at home. He was a medical missionary in Asia, and so I grew up in the Philippine Islands. And way back in the 1960s, when I was about 12, my dad set up a toilet library. Maybe some of you have a toilet library. It's a shelf for him. It was a shelf of medical journals and books so that he could study when he sat on the throne. And of course, my curious adolescent self would also pour through all these medical journals this treasure trove of fascinating and horrifying pictures and articles. But one particular article grabbed my heart. It was about the dilemma facing doctors when a baby was born with both a set of girl parts and boy parts, intersex. Congratulations, parents, it's a girl boy different, very different. So either the doctor or the parents would feel compelled to decide then and there which box to check on the birth certificate. And I felt distressed. What if they got it wrong? In the years since, Science has made some interesting discoveries about human beings when they are created. First of all, they learned that we are all created, each one of us, both male and female, for the first six weeks of our gestational life. After that point, most babies, most fetuses' DNA leads them towards one particular gender or another. But it's another perspective on Genesis 1.26 that we are created male and female in God's image. We're already a relationship within us, just as God is a relationship through the Trinity. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart for a holy purpose. Isaiah adds, God says, I have called you by name. The psalmist I praise you, O God, for I am wonderfully and fearfully made. We live in a broken world that just doesn't seem to grasp this amazing news. 
It takes a relationship of love to translate these words. So if a person is born into our world with some kind of difference, we back away and start to label, to check off the box. Defective, not good enough, not healthy enough, not cute enough, not smart enough, not straight enough, not the color I'm comfortable with, all these knots that get tied around people, human beings who are God's masterpiece. And too often those labels drive God's masterpieces into a closet of shame, one of the most painful emotions someone can suffer. We've all suffered shame. And it's different from guilt. We link them, guilt and shame. But guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. Guilt says, I have to do something to fix this. So we apologize, we make it right, and we move on. It's fixable. But shame, the effect of all of these knots that we hear is perceived as not fixable. So it persists. That wrenching feeling of not being enough, being a disappointment, whether to our friends, our parents, our kids, grandkids, colleagues. And it's compounded with survival, the fear of rejection. And that can persist into adulthood. When we often compare ourselves with our colleagues that we work with, our friends, I'm just not enough. We read Facebook, look how good their life looks. I'm just not enough. Not rich enough not fit enough, not attractive enough, not competent enough. These wounding not messages, subtle accusations. Are we aware that this is the work of Satan? The Hebrew name, Ha-Satan, actually means the accuser. To accuse and lie about who we are and to accuse others. Lies which negate what God has delighted in. And when we turn a scornful eye on other human beings as not enough, we work ourselves right into Satan's plan. When we become rigid in what we expect and want from others, we turn them into objects. Psychologists call this mental rigidity, noting that this rigidity is toxic, unhealthy, and creates a toxic environment for our society. 
And yet, because we want control, we have to put people into those boxes. We have to check those little boxes off so that we can label people and control them. And what's sad is that this disappointment at unmet expectations can be conveyed even to an unborn child. You're not what we wanted. As a therapist now, I see the ongoing trauma of these wounding messages. As children, we believe these messages that must be true. As adults, they can trigger more familiar internal accusations. I'm just not enough. In his first letter to the church, the Apostle John reinforces that while Satan's work is to accuse and tie us up in knots, Jesus showed up to undo the knots. John 1, verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared is to undo the work of the devil. Jesus didn't simply show up on earth to be a good teacher. Jesus showed up to rescue us, to undo the work of the accuser, to save us from that. See what great love God has lavished upon us, says John, that we should be called, identified as children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know God. Knowing God reveals the truth to us of who we really are, each one of us, but also everyone else around us. God's children, delighted in, accepted, gifted, the prophet Zephaniah says that God rejoices in us to the point where God sings over us. Have you heard that God song? God singing over you? God is love, says John. And those who love know God. The truth is, brothers and sisters, that each human being bears a unique template, not replicated by anyone else on this earth. And that template adds color and texture to humankind. And differences are needed to turn this world from shades of gray into a spectrum of color. Brilliance. And I've always felt that this is the job of Christ's body, the church. It's to pay attention, such close attention, to every human being on this earth that we can find their genius. 
that we cultivate differences instead of boxing them in, and that we allow ourselves and give ourselves permission to be enriched by that genius. And by genius, I don't mean simply intellectual or measurable gifts, but those with exceptional gifts, spiritual gifts, that can't always be measured, gifts for hospitality, gifts for courage, people who take risks to better the world and inspire others. Then there are those people whose genius is the way that they love unconditionally. Sometimes people who are poor, uneducated, bedridden, who others think can't do much, they have this gift. They have this genius. And in order for the church to find this genius, we need to pay attention to God's masterpieces. We need to really get to know people and accept and stand up for them, even when we're not comfortable with who they are. Stand up for them just as they are. That's especially true for our children. If you watched the Olympics recently, you might have seen the ad featuring the Longs. This was a couple who adopts this little girl, born in Siberia with feet and lower legs that are so distorted that her birth parents couldn't care for her and left, left her. Once in the US, the Longs had to take her, their daughter for surgeries to amputate the lower legs. But undaunted, the Longs put their little Jessica into the pool, and there they saw her genius. When she swims, she is free, light. Her genius emerges, and a couple of decades later, Jessica Long wins numerous Paralympic medals, gold medals. Instead of focusing on the can-nots, her parents focused on Jessica as a masterpiece. I have come to undo the works of the evil one, says Jesus to undo the effects of the accuser, to undo all those knots, to celebrate differences that occur in every masterpiece. And science bears this up. Science has found that the most productive, fruitful places on Earth are where two very different elements interface where the rainforest meets the desert, an oasis of productivity with flora and fauna. Next time you see a rainbow, notice the brilliance of the places where two colors overlap. The creativity and resourcefulness of five astronauts going into space from different cultures, but together is far greater than 
five astronauts who go from the same culture, same race, same sex. We miss out on brilliance when we box in the colors of the rainbow, when we compel people to stay in one stripe. We miss out. The church misses out. What a rich, colorful life Jesus lived on this earth. And we are his hands and feet. We are his body. We are his mind, his heart. We have to find the differences and invite them in if we are going to be fruitful and interface and see the brilliance. Jesus faced insults because of this. Jesus hangs around with different, unsavory folks. But he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke. We don't see yokes much anymore. Who has oxen that they link up with yokes? But take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, which means it's well-fitting. It doesn't chafe. Take my yoke upon you, uh, upon you, he says. Let me partner with you and learn of me. Let me guide you. Let me love you. Let me show you what grace is. And then we can carry life together. And you will learn who I am. I am the word of God. We think we have the word, but there is an ultimate word. When this word gets confusing, uncertain to some people, there is an ultimate word who is not uncertain. He is ultimate. He is the word. And his word speaks love so that we can speak love to others. Learn of me, he says. This is his command. Learn of me. How are we going to do that? We can study the Gospels to see how he interacts with people. We can invite him in because he's yoked to us. We can invite him to speak to us when we're uncertain. That's how we learn of Jesus. Learn of me and I will shine my light into those darkest places in your heart. And it will lighten up. And you will learn how to bring light to others. Learn of me and I will show you how to be the salt of the earth bringing the most wonderful flavor to your relationships. That's the good life. Better than your career or what you do. Better than appearances, better than toys. Relationships are the good life. And this, beloved children of God, is why we baptize babies. It's a reminder that at the beginning of life as the end of life, before we can achieve anything of, at all, when we are just helpless and dependent little poopers, God sings in joy over us and makes a promise to be yoked to us. God delights 
in what is different about us, anticipating our brilliance in color, searing into us, into this covenant, a promise of identity. You are my beloved child, magnificently made, and in you I am well pleased. This is the song of God. Listen, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. I have undone the work of the accuser. Don't listen anymore to those lies. You are so precious in my sight. I have never loved you more or less than I do right now. You know my voice, and I am calling you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.